Let me try to, uh, to tie this one factor together for you tonight. Uh, say it with me, I believe, in walking in the ways of God. And that was the first principle for supernatural increase in your life. And then we dealt with a thing called uh, faithfulness. Say, I'm faithful. Say, it, I am faithful. I am faithful. And diligent. And I'm a tither. I'm a, I'm a sower. I'm a, I'm a believing believer. And how I many you know that's a really good start on the path of supernatural increase for your life? Amen. It's not based on what everybody else does or what they say about you. It's based on what you do with the Word of God. So if you're walking in the ways of God, is walking in faith, walking in love, walking in wisdom, and you're walking in diligence and faithfulness, and you made up your mind you're going to be a tither and a sower, you've got tithers' rights, and you have the promises of a sower. You're most blessed. Yes. Come on, say, it. I am so blessed. The blessed people call me blessed. blessed Amen. And then, of course, you make up your mind that you're going to understand what it means to be a believing believer. That you're not walking in a realm where you're going to choke on the promises of God. Or you're going to go so far with God and then shut it down. If the Bible says it, you're going to believe it and you're going to walk in it. If there's a promise there to behold, you're going to take it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know if there's a rebuke in there, you're going to take it too? If you're going to take the promises, you also have to take what? The rebuke or the correction that goes with it. That has to be your attitude towards the things of God. And I tell you, if you believe that way, if that's your attitude towards the Word of God, you are in the minority in this country right now. You're actually a minority in the body of Christ. So don't lose what you have. Having a high value for the Word of God will impact your life, your family. It'll impact everybody around you. And so we've been talking uh, probably for six weeks now on what a believing believer is. I don't know how many messages but we know that a believing believer is going to believe the Word of God no matter what kind of opposition there is, no matter what kind of persecution there is, no matter where your station is right now. And even if you don't seem to have a life that lines up with the promises of God, you're not going to dumb down the Word of God to justify your situation. What you're going to do is lift up your head and say, you know what, I may not be there right now, but I'm not done yet. And some of y'all need to hear that tonight. You're not there yet, but it's not over yet. And when we're done tonight, you're going to understand the importance of staying in the game God has called you into, staying in the lane God has called you to, making sure that at the last moment, right before God is going to begin to, to really pour out his blessing and goodness and direction in your life, that you don't choke, but you hang in there and you continue to believe God. It's not believing God for a day or a month or a year or even 10 years. It's believing God. And there's some reasons why you know, our belief, you know, falters. And we understand that believing is not just believing something, you know, that exists or believing something is real. But believing is marked by things like doing. Say that with me. Believing is doing. And what we've done is we've, we've been talking about three specific areas according to James. And you can turn over to James 1 if you want to or get on your smartphone or device. And let's look again at James chapter 1. And I'm just going to review these first two habits or behaviors. Say it with me again. Believers act. Believers do. Say it, I'm a doer, not a hearer only. Those who consider themselves, verse 26, religious, and by religious, James is not me in the way we would see religious in a connotation in our Western culture. But what he means is authentic believer, genuine believer. If you're a real authentic believer... And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. They deceive themselves and their religion or their believing is worthless. You know, it, it really uh, you know, is important to underscore that tonight. You, you cannot increase when your mouth is running amok. It's not going to happen. And so he says, religion or believing that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Again, James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And the first thing he points out here is the need to keep a tight rein on your mouth. We call that control. That's the first behavior that a believer is going to engage in. And no one can control your mouth but you. In fact, no one will ever desire to control your mouth but you. It's got to be something that you see in the Scripture. I can tell you this. 
Everybody I know who's living the abundant life, everybody I know that's living victorious around the world, they have learned to make sure they get the mouth consistent with the Word of God and get all the negativity and all the doubt and all the fear and all the unbelief out. Stop talking like the world can have an amen. amen. Um, make sure that when uh, you're talking about somebody, their name is safe in your mouth. There are a lot of people in the body of Christ, even to this day, they call themselves spiritual, call themselves spiritual, call themselves word people. And at the drop of a hat, they don't mind entering into a diatribe about another brother or a sister or a preacher or a cousin or whatever the case may be. And their name is not safe in your mouth. And if someone's name is not safe in your mouth, you're not going to have supernatural increase. You might as well just stop right then and there and say, you know what, I've just blown everything I've been building. Now, this is the Overcomers Club on a Wednesday night, right? We're, we're into being taught the truth, amen, and, and not having any punches pulled, amen. Say it with me. I want some more. I want some more. I want some more. I'm glad because I have more to give you tonight. But if we're going we're gonna to believe God and do all these things for increase, walk in the ways of God, faithfulness, diligence, tithe, and so, and then not understand that believing is doing, and a big part of our believing is controlling our mouth, People's names should be safe in our mouth. We should speak the word of God, but if we have a problem with somebody, they, their name still should be safe in our mouth. Do what scripture says, go directly to that person and deal with it. Otherwise, you keep the old mouth what? If you won't do it for them, think about its impact on your life. Listen, faith won't work in an unbelieving heart. Believing won't work in an unforgiving heart. And when somebody's name is not safe in our mouth, it means we got a problem with them. Well, I'm just venting. People need to vent. No, people need to pray. There's a difference. Can I have a better amen tonight? Um, then we use this thing where we're just venting. We'll go right ahead, but you're going to vent your increase right away. So make up your mind what's more important to you. Venting in a psychological, psychobabble kind of way, or continue on the path of increasing in your life. I tell you, it's more important for you to see God's promises than for you to get something off your chest. Amen. Glory to God. I'm going to go over here and preach over there. Can I have a better amen tonight? Uh, yeah. Raise your hand if you ever had a problem with this. I know what some of you are thinking. Let's just skip right to the altar call and then move on tonight. We'll just go ahead. It's important to understand that you can literally turn the entire animal around, the entire ship around with your mouth. So if your life's not going where you'd like to see it or it's not had the results you'd like to have, stay with it. Amen. You're not going to turn the ship around on a dime. Does that make sense? And... The good news is that if you can control the mouth, you can control the entire animal. What does that mean? You can control the entire life if you control the mouth. Um, Joshua, your dad told me a story about when he was in the Navy the other day. He was on this vessel during Vietnam, and they would they ride, go up into North Korea, uh, you, know, wa you know, waters basically, and they would do some activity to prepare for whatever the military had. There, I think, is... Uh, in uh, Indian Ocean at this one point in time, and it's very, very hot out there. It's like 90 degrees, and then that uh, sun would come down and burn. He tell you this story? They burn, I mean, very hot on that metal deck, and the only water they had was salt water to wash off with. Whatever water they desalinate was for, you know, the pumps of the, the ship, and then whatever was left over, they could take a shower. Well, they, were, they ran right into this, this fierce uh, storm, and water is coming down in sheets. So it, all the sailors began to take off all their clothes and they were washing and soaping up and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, the ship left that cloud and it was gone. They were just sitting there with all this soap all over everything. And uh, he said, the captain got on there. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we're going to turn around for the rinse. <laughs> and that's a good captain right there. Amen. <laughs> they turned right around so they could rinse. Their old rinse cycle. Uh, you can turn your life around if you'll change, amen, the quality and the content of your mouth. And so we talked about how important it is uh, for good or evil. We talked about that um, it's, it's really twofold. It's two sides of a coin here. 
Uh, protect your mouth from saying things that are ungodly, that are unkind, that are of a gossipy nature, that are whatever uh, would violate Scripture. Obviously, how many know profanity and talking foolishness and tail-bearing should not be in your mouth? But don't stop there. On the other side of the coin is on purpose speaking consistent with the Word of God. The Bible says there's life and death in the power of the what? That means God has delegated power in your mouth. You. We're good at shaking our fist at God, but we're, we're terrible at looking in the mirror and saying, what have you been saying lately? And we're not talking about when everybody's together and we're all in a faith-filled environment, we're all speaking the faith of God. I'm talking about when everything's falling apart and you're by yourself. That conversation going on on the inside of your head and it slips out of your mouth. That's the critical time where you have to arrest that thing and control that mouth. Believing believers are people that do. And one of the things you got to do is control that mouth. Number two is a thing called compassion. He mentions widows and orphans, but the broader picture here is an attitude or a spirit of compassion about you. Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle with these words as a qualifier in the scripture. Filled with compassion, Jesus did what? He healed the sick or he fed those that were hungry. You'll find out that that compassion oftentimes will be the very thing that is going to release that supernatural in your life. Raise your hand if you need a miracle. Raise your hand if you need God to do something in your life. You're going to see that come through this avenue of compassion. And one of the things that the world tries to do to you is, is knock the compassion out of you. Anybody here ever had the, the breath knocked out of you? I remember being in the fifth grade, somebody threw a basketball and it hit me right there in the solar plexus. I don't think I breathed, you know, breathed for two or three minutes. I got even. Amen. I was not at all sanctified. Wasn't even trying to be sanctified. But you know, that's, uh, that's the way it is. The, the world would try to just uh, put an edge on you so that you've lost that sense of compassion. But when we're moved to action, moved to mercy, moved to forgiveness, we're on the right page. Amen. Say it with me. I'm moved to mercy, moved to action, moved to forgiveness. Uh, we can be the person that feeds the poor and builds beds for those that don't have any, you know, and supports Israel. But when we walk in unforgiveness, we're basically neutralizing everything we just did. Does that make sense? I don't know about you, but uh, I really don't want people kicking over every rock of my past. Aren't you glad you're redeemed? Well, that's what this wokeism is doing right now. It's not redemptive. It's not consistent with Scripture. It says if you ever did anything wrong, ever said anything wrong, that was even remotely inappropriate, we're coming for you, we're going to get you, we're going to nail you, we're going to destroy you. Does that sound like Jesus or does that sound like the devil? I promise you the devil has, has really inspired this movement in this nation. And it will die as all anti-God movements die. But be careful it doesn't get in you. Be careful you don't forget the mercy and grace and forgiveness that God gave you. God has covered much in our lives. Let me try that again. God has covered much in our lives. Our stupidity, the things we shouldn't have done, things we shouldn't have said. The blood of Jesus is real. Redemption is real. And don't you let anybody come back and try to put condemnation on you over what happened years ago or even a week ago. There is now, therefore, what? No condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That's not of God. Anything but try to come back from your past now and put condemnation on you and try to somehow evoke consequences on your life for what you did or said in the past, it's not redemptive, it's not Christ-like. The problem is, if you're not careful, you're going to slip into the church. You know, you're not really woke when you're woke to somebody else's sin, but you're oblivious to your own. And that's exactly what's going on in this nation. People passing judgment, they live in glass houses. I mean, they live in paper-thin glass houses. And they're just chucking bricks at people thinking they've got the high moral ground. Be careful. Seed time and harvest is going to cause a boomerang effect in people who live in this way. People of faith should stay merciful and compassionate. Compassionate to those that are hurting, compassionate to those that are in need. Can I tell you, if somebody has blown it, and they've destroyed their lives or something's blown up in their lives, do they not need something? Do they not need mercy? They don't need a brick upside the head. They need what? They need restoration. They need 
mercy. So, you know, we don't need that anywhere in the body of Christ. Amen. Aren't you glad you're forgiven? Well, before you're tempted to withhold some mercy from somebody else, just remember what God forgave you of. Remember where you were when he found you and stay merciful. Become a master of his mercy. Amen. Excel in the grace of mercy because sooner or later you're going to need it again. Look at somebody and say, I know you, you're going to need it again. Mercy. Say it with me, control the mouth. Compassion. John Osteen called this the divine flow of love. It comes from heaven into your heart, and God would love for you to yield to it every time the, the divine flow comes. The divine flow could be something as simple as writing a letter to somebody, calling them on the phone, texting them, sending them a message. It could be as simple as you uh, buying something for them, blessing them in a financial way, whatever that divine flow is you know, is telling you that's what you do. And a lot of times we just stop that up thinking that, well, that's not really God. You know, I really shouldn't do that. There's probably something wrong with this. No, trust me on this. When you're sensing the divine flow of love, it's not coming from the devil. Not in this selfish, inward, backward world. That's coming from the Lord trying to use you as a vessel of that compassion. So literally just, just let it flow. Let the divine flow, you know, come from God through you and then touch somebody. And I'll tell you this, it's amazing how we forget about our junk and our problems when we're ministering to somebody else. There are a lot of little tidbits that I received from Mark Randall when I was a college student. But I'll tell you, this one probably is the most priceless of all. When you're feeling down or depressed or discouraged, things aren't going right, go out and intentionally minister to somebody else. And it will instantly lift you. Why? Because that anointing will begin to flow through you. And focusing on others will give you, you know, that redemptive lift. It will give you that encouragement. You're discouraged because you're focused on you. The more introspective you get, the more miserable you're going to get. So say with the divine flow of his love. You know, uh, there's a member of this church, and they frequently go to a certain restaurant. And every time they go to that restaurant, they see this same veteran in that, in that restaurant. It's almost like it's a divine appointment. And every time they see this veteran, they never let him pay for a meal. Maybe that's why he keeps going back to that restaurant. <laughs> but at any rate, um, I appreciate that because if, you know, I had my way, everything that we're throwing away in this nation and wasting in this nation would be directed towards those who have served us. And even the ones that look functional, a lot of those guys and gals have issues. They put their lives on the line. They survive technically, physically. That's where we, sh we should be directing our resources as a nation, not sanctioning people that are coming here illegally. You may disagree with that. Well, let me tell you something. There's no right of one person to come in this nation and not have the same standard applied to them that the rest of our families had applied to us. No. That's what you call inconsistency. It's what you call hypocrisy. Right. And just because somebody's on a southern border or a northern border, they should not get a buy. It's very, very simple. And so what we're doing right now is we are basically subsidizing law-breaking and ignoring men and women. Basically, as you saw on the screen this past week, 22 a day killing themselves in this nation. People that served, they, the battlefield couldn't get them, but coming back to life in America did them in. You say you're anti-immigration. Oh, no, I want to see all the immigrants come here that we can possibly take care of in terms of the opportunities here. But they should come in the same way that my great-great-grandfather came in. Are you here? Otherwise, you're telling me that people from the former you know, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia, they, those people should be treated less than everybody else. No. It should be fair and consistent. That, I, I approve of that message. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. But the point is, you know, there's a, there's a real need out there. And, you know, this person, it just touches their heart and, and they just do this. And I hope that everywhere that fellow goes, that happens to him. So he's constantly reminded somebody cared. Amen. Amen. And it's particularly important with those now that are in Vietnam and getting up to the older ages that we, we take the time to bless them. Because when they came back, they were spat on, called baby killers, totally unacceptable for people that wore that uniform. 
They didn't start it. They didn't orchestrate it. Amen. They just went over and did the things they were supposed to do. They took an oath to defend this nation, its interests, its constitution, and they should be honored, not just on Veterans Day or Memorial Day or Armed Forces Day, but every time you see them, you should say, you know what? I walk on free streets because of people like that. Does that make sense? So having compassion, it means you're going to do something. If you feel something, but you don't act on it, that's not compassion. Say it with me, compassion always takes action. The third one tonight, and this is where we're at uh, on this message, we're going to wrap it up tonight. The third one is a thing called consecration. And I go back to what James said in the last part of this, verse 27. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you know that he also said a powerful thing, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Boy, is that not a serious Live just as close as we can to the world. And then wonder why we're not seeing the supernatural operate in our lives. Now he said friendship with the world is enmity. It means actually to be at war with God, to be in hostility with God. How in the world is our faith going to work if we're in open hostility towards the Lord? I mean, how's that going to fly? It's not going to fly. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Notice the language here, keep oneself. It's not the pastor's job to keep you. It's not mom and dad's job. It's not the small group leader or the Sunday school leader's job. It's not the worship leader's job. Whose job is it? Keep yourself. So what we're talking about tonight is there's a connection between believing and purity and increase. Say this to me. Believers stay pure. And by staying pure, they increase. How many of y'all want to increase? You can talk to, to a thousand men and women of God, and if they are actually seeing any fruit in their lives at all, and they're seeing increase, they're going to tell you that very principle, that you have to live clean in a dirty world. And it is a dirty world. What does that mean? It means consecration. Write this down. Consecration is the declaration and the act of making something sacred. It's the declaration and the act of making something sacred. You set that thing apart. And in this case, it's your life you're setting apart. Not somebody else is going to do this for you. You're being sanctified daily by the ministry of the blood and the Father's love and the Spirit of God uh, and the Word of God. These are sanctifying forces. How many of you know Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth? Your Word is truth, but it's your job to separate yourself, to dedicate and separate yourself as something sacred. Part of the problem is we don't see ourselves that way. We're nothing special. We're not sacred. It doesn't matter what happens to us, so it doesn't matter what we do. It does matter because you were bought with a price. And there's greatness on the inside of you. Do you know that tomorrow morning, miracles could absolutely just break out of your life everywhere you go? Just like that, everything can change for you. But you talk to any great revivalist, if you could, or you read their writings, or you study what Smith Wigglesworth preached, and he never wrote a book, but lots of people recorded what he did. The same thing comes through over and over and over again. It's purity. Say it with me, it is purity. If I say holiness, sometimes we have a knee-jerk religious reaction. Oh, yes, holiness. Praise the Lord, I can't attain to that. But think about it in practical terms of purity. How many of you like, you know, your steaks to be pure when you cook them? Amen. How many like uh, no little little things growing on it or invading it? Amen. How many know you don't want to get sick when you eat something? Have you ever had food poisoning one time? That's all you want? You want something to be what? Pure. How many like your milk that doesn't have chunks in it? How many like your water without heavy metals in it? Everywhere around we appreciate what? Purity for you to have the maximum effect and to release the maximum anointing through your life and to see maximum supernatural increase, you've got to have purity in each dimension of your life. Uh, years ago, we were at a campground in Lake of Egypt, and um, Dad had a lot of friends over that they camped with, and we went up and got uh, Grandma Hines. Y'all remember her? <laughs> I'm gonna die. That one. 
and uh, invited her for the weekend, and they were going to cook steaks in a very unconventional way that night. That's called a buffalo trot. Anybody know what that is? You probably don't want to know, do you? <laughs> well, you, you take all the wood and you, you build a nice fire and then you, you spread the hot coals out and you lay the steaks directly on the fire. And then you do a rain dance, amen, you <laughs> build a teepee, no. And uh, I will never forget, as they were laying these steaks on those coals, my grandma's eyes looked like saucers. She's like, what in the world is this? I'm not eating something you just threw on the ground. But actually, they cook very nice, and they're actually very, very delicious. But you have to kind of knock all the uh, ashes off and stuff like that. Amen? Hallelujah. She's probably thinking, oh, who's buried there? Somebody's ashes are probably underneath there. You know, I don't want any part of that. Maybe eating grandma or something like that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but she's like, what are y'all doing to the steak? All this wonderful steak and just throw it on the ground. It took a long time to explain to her they were actually cooking the steak, not throwing the steak away. How many like pure things? Can I tell you something? God really likes pure things. He's invested a lot that you would be. And the good news, we're, you know, where we're concerned is, if you have blown it, if you have sin, if you'll confess your sin, what? He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now watch this. Not only do you get the forgiveness, you also get the empowerment to stop what you were doing. Throughout Scripture, there is a, there is a refrain, and it's, it's really illustrated in John chapter 8 when the woman is taken in adultery and you always have to ask yourself, where's the man at? Because when I read the, the law, I read the Old Testament, I don't see where it's just the woman that's held accountable. But, she, but he's nowhere in sight, right, because he was probably one of the Pharisees, who knows, moving right along. But uh, there she is, subject to this kangaroo court of everybody, all these woke men, Pharisees. We're woke to your sin. And now you're going to pay and we'll probably get Jesus because we know he's not woke either. Ma Moses says we should stone such a one. What do you say? And what did you do? <laughs> you got to love this. He bent down and wrote on the ground. And I don't know exactly what he wrote, but it probably was very interesting. Amen. But we do know what he said. You, you that is without sin, Cast the first stone. All you woke people with no sin, go right ahead and cast stones in the name of your wokeness. And it's interesting how the narrative reads from the oldest to the youngest. They dropped the stone they were going to use as an implement of judgment and death. And then, you know, he looks up and they're all gone. Neither do I what condemn me. Now watch this new age fangled Christianity. That's where a lot of people today in the church stop. Right? No condemnation, forgiveness, praise of the Lord. But to do that to that statement in that context is, is borderline blasphemy. What did he say? Go and sin. No more. When you repent and ask forgiveness, what is he saying to you? Same thing he said to her. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and what? And sin no more. Now watch this. And if you don't have it down, write it down in your Bible, your notebook. God never gives you a command without the power to keep it. So when he tells you go and sin no more, you can't say, well, I just couldn't handle it. I couldn't take it. You know, I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you can because he gave you the power. Amen. And he also gave you his righteousness. Righteousness is a force that will lead you not to sin. It will lead you to purity and righteousness in terms of your living, in terms of your applied righteousness, holiness. You see this? So say it with me. I can. Well, pastor, what's a, you know, what do you call a Christian then who chooses to sin? A righteous person who chose to sin. There's the, there's the contradiction. 
but it was a righteous person. A, a blood-bought believer is righteous. They've received the gift of righteousness, and they decided they chose against that force and against the power to live consistent with the Word of God. They went ahead and did that. Now, the world might condemn you. The woke people might condemn you, and certain people in the body of Christ might do that, but that's not God. But he also says what? Go and sin no more. That's the process. People teach throughout the body of Christ. You know, well, you know, God makes clay pots and wood pots and gold pots. I'm just a clay pot. You know why people do that? To justify their low level of living and justify the lack of any spiritual ambition, any accountability, any kind of supernatural dream that God would use them. I'm just a clay pot in the house of God. According to what Paul told Timothy, the, the pot decides what kind of pot it is. Amen. Now back some of y'all years ago, it was Acapulco Gold, Colombian. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody say, thank God. You don't live in Colorado. I can't even imagine what the, uh, what the crash rates are in Colorado right now. People driving high as a kite. Man, craziness out there. Hallelujah. We spent billions in this nation fighting the proliferation of pot only for states to legalize it. Amen. Why is it bad? It's bad for a whole lot of reasons. It's far worse even than cigarette smoking in terms of its damage to lungs. It, it, it actually makes a lot of people sterile when they're young. They don't even know what's happening. It is a gateway drug to all sorts of other things. So if you think it's harmless, it's not harmless. Yeah, yeah but God gave us every herb, you know. When it's grown in the field, yes. Process and roll, that's not what he told you to do. Hallelujah. Thank you for your enthusiasm over that revelation. Amen. You know what Dr. Barkley said about that pastor one time? He went in his office and he'd been smoking pot. There's this cloud. He's like, what in the world are you doing in here? I say, can this really happen in the body of Christ? Yes. And he looked at, at Barkley and goes, well, I'm just in here revelating. He goes, no, you in here hallucinating. <laughs> There's a difference. Weymouth translation literally talks about being unspotted from the world. Say it with me, unspotted from the world. So making something sacred and living unspotted. Now a big part of this is just making up your mind, making the decision that you're going to live this way before your God. Amen? Well, how does this work out? It works out by realizing that you're multidimensional. And that you could be proficient in one dimension as a human being and have a, an open door in another dimension in your life. Let's start with the obvious, the consecration of the body. Say it with me, the consecration of the body. How many understand there's a way you can live that you can honor God with your body and there's another way you can live that dishonors God with your body? All right? Go with me over to 2 Corinthians for a moment. About an important announcement to make. If you'll consecrate yourself, you'll consecrate your body, you'll increase more. That's pretty weak. You try that again. If you'll consecrate your body, you'll increase more. Amen. Hallelujah. Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? We don't do missionary dating. Hallelujah. Don't just get hooked up with somebody because you're lonely or because they happen to be male. You're looking for a husband or looking for a wife. Um, a lot of people have gone the world's way and regretted it. Amen. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God. And they'll what? They'll be my people. 
listen to the standard here. This is language that smacks of sacredness. Therefore come out from them and be what? Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. How many have been living for God long enough you have a handle on things that are unclean? So now it's just a quality decision, amen? We're not going to touch that. Now, there are things that are obvious that we shouldn't touch. And then as we progress in our walk with God, the Spirit of God will begin to reveal things to you that are unclean for you to touch. And everybody is on a different page in a lot of these areas because oftentimes God will have you living in a standard that other Christians are not. You'll say, what's up with that? I tell you what's up with that. God is working on something in you. Too much is given. Much is required. I was a, uh, a youth swimmer, about 12 years old, and our swim coach at that time was a former Marine drill sergeant. Don't ever put a drill sergeant in charge of a youth program of any kind. <laughs> and you can imagine how, how he ran that. Amen. And we're, we're swimming, and then I noticed that, you know, there's a bunch of kids that are goofing off, and uh, if I did one slight thing wrong, I mean little thing, he was in my face. I mean, he's yelling, he's screaming, I mean, he's, he's doing everything but letting the language fly, but all the animation is there, all the aggression is there. That's the only way he knew how to roll. And I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what, what is this all about? It's almost like he could care less what these guys are doing, but he keeps coming down on me. Well, he knew that I just came out from Iowa City, Iowa, and in since the swim program, if you can imagine this, we swam 11 miles a day. I think, you know, just thinking about running 11 miles a day makes me want to throw up. So I can't even fathom the things that we did at 10, 11, 12 years old, but that's why they called it an intensive program. He also knew about... Some of the successes I had, you know, state champion in Illinois, nationally ranked in the country. And what was he doing? He was not all that concerned about ones that were goofing off who had no real future or potential. Right or wrongly, he was focusing on those few that he felt did have and held us to a much higher standard. And so what begins to happen is we don't look and say, well, well, they're doing it, and they're doing it, and they're doing it, and they're doing it, so it must be okay. No, you need to listen to the Holy Ghost about your life. And don't touch the unclean things that are obvious. And there are a lot of obvious things that Christians right now are touching they shouldn't be touching. But then on top of that, God begins to deal with you in your own heart. You know, I was saved in, uh, you know, about in June, uh, June 3rd, 1982, baptized in the Holy Ghost the same night. I was baptized as an infant, and for two solid years, the Spirit of God was working on me. Get baptized. You need to submit to water baptism. Nobody was preaching at me. Nobody was, you know, dogging me. Nobody was questioning my faith. And finally, I just got to the place where I couldn't take it anymore. And then 1984, April 22nd, on Easter Sunday, that night, I said, Mark, would you take me out to Kentucky Lake with a witness, a friend of mine, and baptize me? I need to follow the Holy Ghost on this. And I can't tell you the peace of God that came right at that moment. There's a scripture that indicates that same pathway, born again, spirit-filled, and then water baptized. Should have done it a lot, lot faster than that. But can you see how this works? He'll begin to get a hold of your heart and guide and direct and instruct and push and correct you in things you need to let go. That's all part of the purification process. And to the extent that we hear and we do what he says, we set ourselves up for good things. We set ourselves up to be promoted. We set ourselves up for God to do the new in us. And it's different for different people. I could go through a long list of things that, that really not worth the time tonight, but things that, that your typical carnal Christian just allows in their life right now, and God began to finger those things, and I kind of had the same reaction. Seems like you're doing the same thing that Ray Melderis was doing, you know, in that swim club. And I got kind of the same response from him. Does that make sense? It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's what I'm telling you to do, because this is where you're headed. How many understand, just like in that swim practice, there are a lot of Christians goofing off in the church? And it's not that God didn't care about them wanting to grow. They've just made up their mind. This is what they're going to do. They're going to just hang around, play in the shallows. Amen? 
get the little rubber duckies out and the little wings and the floaties and just hang out until the rapture or until they die and go to heaven. But I'm telling you what, especially right now in this group tonight, God wants more for you than that. I said God wants more than that for you. Not a recreational Christian, but somebody can be a world champion as a believer. And you can, but you've got to stay up with the things he's telling you to correct. And then in terms of the body, if he's, if he's you know, corrected you about something, you know, the, the things that he told me to, to walk away from, I never regretted them. It was no big deal. Once he made that utterance, this is where you're going. I want you to turn away from that. And to be honest with you, some of those things were relationships. Some of those things were people that were not going the same way. Some of those things were, were practices and behaviors and things that I learned as a cultural Lutheran. Look at somebody and say, you know, Lutherans know how to drink. Amen. You'd be amazed how many Christians, they will fight for the right to drink. You drinking is between you and the Lord. I can tell you this. I've never met one person yet who imbibed, who was very anointed. Just haven't met him. There should be more amens in a Pentecostal church than that. Dear God. You, you don't want me doing a 20-part series on alcohol. You'll be bored and the church will be empty. <laughs> At the same time, you know, uh, I can tell you this. When it, when it came to me, it was very clear. Here's what you need to be doing. It wasn't about something being necessarily inherently evil. It, it came to me like this. Is the thing you're doing, is the thing that you're you know, yielding to, is the thing you're allowing, is that making you more anointed? And if it's not making you more anointed, then what's the point? Can I have a better amen than that? And so it becomes not what I can't do, becomes I'm, I'm, I'm working on something here. I'm going to be more anointed next year than this year, and, and et cetera. So that's why it's so important to have consecration of the body. Whatever he tells you to cut off from your life, just do it. Just honor God. It's a good thing. Say it with me. Holiness, purity is a good thing. And I can tell you one of the first things that happen in, in a revival atmosphere, and you'll see in this last uh, move of God, this great awakening, is you'll see people, the first thing they'll do is have the experience like Isaiah had in Isaiah 6. Lord, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell what? Isn't that amazing? The first thing he felt was unclean was his mouth. But God had a plan for his life, didn't he? In other words, you have a strong consciousness of things that don't belong in your life. As I said before, if you're playing the lottery, I'm not going to go looking through your, your, you know, your glove box. You know, or see if you have a receipt from the casino riverboat. Or see if you've been to a package store. Are you here today? Can I tell you something? Because I could preach till the cows come home, but until the Spirit of God. Are you here? until the Spirit of God moves in your life on any issue whatsoever, it's just not going to have a lasting effect. Hallelujah. And uh, that's why it's, it's not just, here's a list of 15 things. For you, that list could be a lot longer right now. But how many are okay with God making a list for you? Come on, raise your hand and say, I don't care. I want increase. I want God's best. Consecration of the mind is very important as well. The Bible says, casting down vain imaginations and every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Who's supposed to do that? Who's supposed to take captive those thoughts? A lot of people are, are consecrating the body, but they're forgetting to consecrate the mind. You don't have any business thinking like the world. Amen. Jesus made it plain. If you are thinking lustful thoughts, guess what? He equated that with the actual physical act. Now we know in, in reality that is far worse than the, than the mental act. But do you understand if you never commit the mental act, you'll never commit the physical act. Long before the physicality was what? The planting of thoughts and the, the you know, the meditating on those thoughts and the turning those thoughts over and over and over again. Whatever the case may be, whatever unscriptural thought it is, 
you lasso it, you target that thing, you arrest that thing and do not permit it in your life. Now, that could be something licentious, but it could also be just something that contradicts Scripture. The devil tells you God doesn't love you. Well, guess what? Well, devil, that's a lie because God said what? For God so loved the world that he gave. Scripture says that God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what do I do? I capture that thing, I put a little bubble around it, and then I hit it with the word of God. You, nobody can do this for you but you. So when the devil tells you, you know, I've been a tither and a giver, nothing ever works for me, nothing ever changes for me, you're thinking these thoughts that are completely undermining what God said. You have to arrest those things. Well, I'll never do anything. I've got to make some changes and do this and do that. You'd be amazed how many people have lost their destiny over one thought powerfully planted in their subconscious by the devil himself. And you thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, and now you've got ownership. And now what you do is you begin to become a self-fulfilling prophet, making everything look like this is the path, this is the way to go. It has nothing to do with God. It was not born out of peace and victory in the Scripture. It was born out of tribulation and adversity and difficulty. And God would tell you, you know what? If you have any sensibility at all, stop. Arrest that rogue thought that's planted there. Get in there and root it out before it does more damage in your life. Oh, yeah. How many times as a pastor, someone come to me and justifying their behavior, God just wants me to be happy. I'm sorry, but that's not what the scripture teaches. If you really want to be blessed and happy, serve God daily. In his presence is what? Overwhelming, overflowing joy that's not based on circumstances. Amen. And so they'll, they'll justify things that they do because God wants them, what? Happy. If you say it enough, I guess it sounds okay. God wants me happy. God wants me happy. God just wants me happy. God wants me to enjoy my life. And then there's this picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. God just wants me happy. God just wants me to enjoy. There's some things serving God you're not going to enjoy. You'll never die for mankind, for the sins of mankind, but not everything is going to be a party. But do you know you can still have the joy and the peace when you are bearing a cross? Do you know you can still have the joy and the peace when you're inside the fiery furnace? Do you know you can still have peace and joy when you're in the lion's den? Amen. So this whole idea that God wants me happy is destroyed, I don't know how many Christian homes. And do you know that once you let that rogue thought dominate your decision-making, you'll repeat that over and over and over and over again? Whose job is it to cast down every vain imagination and every thought that exalts itself above what? What is exalting above the knowledge of God? Something that is trying to rule over your life with greater authority than the Word of God. That's your job and my job to say, no, for me, the word is first place and final authority. Let's make that confession. First place and final authority. Amen. Well, I just, you know, I just think this would be wise. <laughs> Years ago, I had an individual come up to me and say to me, you know, I, uh, I you know, understand what the, what the word says and even the standards of the church, but I just, you know, I'm not going to marry so-and-so because we, if get, we get buried, then we'll take a hit on our Social Security. And I'm like, don't go to hell over Social Security. Is, is that how big your God is? That, that honoring his word, he's going to let you down? Huh? Honoring his word in, in consecrated holy relationships and having something sanctioned by marriage is, is somehow God is going to penalize you for that? No, but Uncle Sam will. But do you know that God can do more than enough? More than you could possibly comprehend by honoring him? Well, Pastor, you don't have to talk about this stuff in the church. I mean, the church, people don't live like that. People don't go outside their marriage. People don't have, you know, uh, you know sex before they're married. Are you kidding me? If you believe that sex is for marriage, you're in the minority, even in the modern church. Well, we're getting married anyway. 
That's not the point. Amen. I share this in, in every premarital. Some of you that have had me with premarital counseling know this is the truth. But I share this with every one of them. One of the, one of the things that, that happens is people will you know, yield to these things and then they end up not marrying that person. What you've done is you've defiled that person and you don't have a covenant with them. Amen. Now you've messed with somebody else's wife, you mess with somebody else's husband. Amen. These teachings in the Hebraic tradition and the Judeo-Christian ethic couldn't be plainer. So a voice that comes to you or to me and says it doesn't matter Who's going to arrest that thought? Oh, Pastor, that's just religion. No, that's the word of God. Amen. <laughs> you remember the Irish discipline I talked about a couple weeks ago? I mean, really, we, we are kind of weak and anemic in the church, and part of it is the, the average believer's inability to really strongly be corrected and receive it without getting offended, sucking the thumb, uh, running amok, or just going haywire, or, you know, just bailing, whatever the case may be. But I can tell you this, when, when Paul says things like this, should I come with a whip? We know things have changed in the modern church in terms of discipline. Now, if you even just simply quote a scripture, it has the effect of the whip. If you somehow hold a standard and challenge somebody, that's spiritual abuse. No, it's not spiritual abuse. It's holding to a standard and encouraging you to hold to that. Amen? And as long as you make the decision that I'm going to make the word first place and final authority, I'm going to have a consecrated body, but also what? A consecrated mind? Come on, say that. A consecrated mind? Casting down. Whose job is it? I don't care what the thought is. If it's not a, a thought that lines up with the Word of God, you've got to do this. And it's, it's never going to you know, get any easier in this life. Amen. You may be here tonight thinking, I don't care what he says. I'm going to drink what I want to drink. Amen. Go right ahead. Have a case if you want to. Amen. Go have a keg tonight. That's between you and the Lord. Amen. But I am telling you, when he deals with you, just listen to him. There are reasons why they call these things spirits. Why? Because there are spirits that travel on these things. And a discerning believer says, I, I just don't have time for that nonsense. I mean, just remind you, this is the overcomers club. It's not the oh me club. Uh, hallelujah. Well, pastor, when you say those things, you rub my fur the wrong way. Well, as John Osteen says, just turn the cat around. and Meow. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> Did I mention this is a Pentecostal church? <laughs> Uh, if you're shocked about purity teaching in a Pentecostal church, then I guess I got my next sermon series. <laughs> Come on, say, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. It, is it is the Word of God. But you have to be careful trying to please everybody and regulate everybody. This is about the Word, you, your relationship with God, and having the guts to listen to Him when He tells you something. Sometimes it'll be in your own time and the Word. Sometimes it'll be in a message like this. But listen. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that you're not giving up anything. When you yield to his, his challenge about purity, you're accepting his best for your life. It's your best possible version. He's not trying to hold anything back from you. He's trying to bless your socks off. Consecration also of the will. Jesus said, nonetheless, when he was in the garden, not my will, what? Thine be done. Jesus said, my meat is what? To do the will of him who sent me. James taught this very thing. You know, you go and you say, tomorrow we're going to go here and there. We're going to transact business. What is your life? He said, when it comes to matters of direction, you should be praying if it's what? Now, you don't pray if it's God's will over something that's plainly taught in Scripture. 
but you don't have it all figured out. You don't have the map, and you should be praying that way in terms of your decisions and your counsel and your direction. And at the end of the day, consecration means I'm going to receive and then do what he told me to do. Amen. My decisions are going to conform to his will. A lot of people in the modern body of Christ, they know God's will, but they won't do it. You can't, you can't, you can't make that connection. See, believing and purity leading to increase, that can't happen if you don't have a pure will. Write this down. What is a pure will? It's a will that's lined up with God in every area of your life. Do you know the area you hold back from him is the very one the devil will set a fire to? The very one you withhold from God is the one that will fall apart in your life. If you're going to have, you know, increased supernatural increase, you got to make sure that your will lines up with his. You don't come to him with your will and say, God bless it. Lord, here's, here's the orders. Here's what you're going to do for me. No. Your job is to follow the Holy Ghost, to follow his word, stay in step with him. Amen. And if the devil told you, well, if I do God's will, then somehow it's going to be less than God's best, or it's going to be you know, less of my life, I won't be happy, blah, blah, blah. That's all life in the pit of hell. Your safest place is right smack dab in the, in the middle of God's will. No matter what's going on around you. Amen. If you're in God's will, God will turn that thing around. But if you try to fix it yourself... Find yourself out of the will of God. Amen. How many know being swallowed like Jonah is no fun? Amen. Amen. Dead fish, seaweed tied around your head, getting vomited on the shoreline. Like Dr. Barkley says, the fish wasn't judgment. The fish was transportation for Jonah. Get back <laughs> on the path of God. Say it with me. I am here to do his will. That's why you're here in this earth. Consecration of the body, consecration of the mind, consecration of the will, and last, consecration of the emotions. What have you heard me preach a thousand times in this church? Emotions are there for you to enjoy life, experience life, but not to run your life. And this is the subtlety the devil's made great strides in the body of Christ where they would be spirituals, they can be cast out devils, amen, drinking gunpowder soup, amen, operating in the gifts, getting people saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, absolutely causing fits for the kingdom of the devil. And yet at the same time, they've not developed in this area with their emotions. And should the emotions move in, the things of God are set aside in terms of decision-making, in terms of direction. And at no point in time ever are your emotions ordained to guide your life. Ever. They will never be anointed to guide your life. And if you're not careful, the devil will stir it up in you just to try to misdirect your life. Nowhere in Scripture do you see somebody yielding to emotion that it turned out well for them. Raise your hand if you think Jesus had emotion in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you sense that? Yes, it is. But what did he do? Nonetheless, he got up straight to Golgotha, did exactly what the Father had called him to do, so you and I would be redeemed. You know what I take from that? I take that if the devil had managed to have diverted him, you and I would still be in our sin. Can you see how you, at the wrong opportunity, yielding to emotion impacts other people? Yes. Well, it just impact my life. That's a life in the pit of hell. You may never know the people you damage by yielding to your emotions. They are not anointed to govern your life. In other words, I can feel mad, I can feel glad, I can feel sad, I can feel happy, I can feel defeated, I can feel, 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 and still make a quality decision that I'm going to do God's will, I'm going to do what God said. You see, that's a decision of quality from which there's no retreat or no further debate. But you have to live, you know, with active ready when it comes to the emotions because they come back on you. And listen carefully, child of God, you're most vulnerable when you've been through it. 
when you have been hammered by life and hammered by situations and circumstances and setbacks, whether it's physical problems you've had or relational problems you've had, or you have lost dreams or lost, you know, things or lost people to death, you know what you need to do at that moment in time? Say, you know what? I do not trust my emotions. And I'm not going to trust them for a long time. God, you are not going to direct me by how I feel. Because if I allow myself right now, I'm going to upend everything I've learned, everything I know that I would never do normally. But in this particular season, I'm going to let my emotions overrule everything God has planned for me. You say, does it happen? Yeah, it happened with Cain. God himself delivered the prophetic word to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. And what? You must master it. How powerful is that? A non-born again, non-spirit-filled man, first generation sinner could have what? Said no to sin. Don't tell me that people in the word right now, people of the spirit can't say no to it. Watch this. He has the prophetic word of God delivered by God himself. And then what? Emotions ruled him and he slew his brother. I would never overrule God's word with an emotion. There's a long line of people in the Bible that have and continue to do it. Uzziah was one of the most successful kings in the history of all of history of Israel. The Bible says as long as he saw the Lord, God blessed him. His mentor taught him in the ways of God, and he honored that, and God blessed him militarily. He blessed him with peace. He blessed him with victory. He blessed him with prosperity. And one day, he's in the temple where he shouldn't have been, offering incense, and the high priest with the other courageous priests corrected him, and what did he do? Watch this. There's no way he would normally say, I'm going to go against the word of God, and I'm going to yield to my emotion in this situation. But guess what happened? He raged at them, became leprous, and he lost everything. Listen to me. Without a consecrated emotion, I don't mean consecrated yesterday emotions. I mean consecrated when? Today. You don't do this and push the pause button for a month. You need your body consecrated today, your mind consecrated today, your will consecrated today, and you need your emotions consecrated today. Because the day you don't consecrate them will be the day that they lead you astray. He lost everything. The rich young ruler, Jesus said, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Come follow me. What happened? There is again an example of the direct prophetic word given by God himself. God incarnate telling him, sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Come follow me. Watch how powerful a single emotion is in battling the word of God over your life. He went away sad. Sad destroyed his destiny. Some people believe he regrouped later. We don't know for sure if this individual was a later apostle. We don't know exactly who he is. All we know is at that moment in time, guess what? All this life. Lord, from a, from a youth, I've kept the commands of God. And Jesus didn't dispute that. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you what? One thing you lack. You got an idol in your life, son. You trust this instead of God. One thing. One thing and an emotional reaction to it can absolutely destroy your destiny. That's how powerful emotion is if you allow it to do in your life what it did to these in Scripture. Turn to somebody and say, no, thank you. Come on, say it again. No, thank you. Too often emotions to us are more powerful than the plain written word of God. And guess what? We're not like Cain. Jehovah God did not come down to you and me. We're not like the rich young ruler who had Jesus Christ himself physically present. To tell him, here's the command over your life. But we do have something just as authoritative. We have the word of God. So in a season right now, if you have been particularly emotive or you've been particularly hammered, make a quality decision and hold each other accountable in your lives and say, 
This is not a very good time. Even secular counselors will tell you that when you've been through something horrible, that's a terrible time to make a decision. What I've watched and seen through the years is when people are going down that path, they begin to change their behavior. They begin to change their level of commitment. They begin to change their interaction. They stop coming for counsel. You know why? It ain't the Spirit of God directing. It's emotion directing. Amen. I'd rather you had a six-pack than run your life by emotion. Amen. Because you'll do far more damage getting drunk on emotion. Now, how many know God would rather have us deliver from everything that hinders us? Amen. Glory to God. Satan will be consecrated in my emotions every day. The problem with this teaching is that people that are doing this will have an emotional reaction. I am not. No, you're not. My favorite all-time conversation in 30 years as a senior pastor, I taught on offense for about 10 weeks, and somebody came one time and said, you know, yeah, we're leaving the church, but we're not offended. When somebody offers the words, we're not offended, they're deeply offended. <laughs> Does that make sense? They're just trying to line up with whatever they heard. But oftentimes, watch this, uh, some people, the stronghold is the body. Some people tonight, the area of the work on is the consecration of the mind. Some of you need to start yielding, yielding better to the will of God. But for a lot of Christians right now, they can be very spiritually mature, but emotionally immature. And all the work he's done building your house spiritually can be destroyed if you act on that emotion. Uzziah didn't get a second chance. Once Cain did that, it changed not only his life, but the lives of, of those around him. Amen? I love to have seen something that would have happened with that rich young ruler if he just decided differently. Amen? Because if I say one emotion, now how do you defeat that? You just make up your mind. Uh, I'm not going to let that happen. So confess this with me. Say it in Jesus' name. I make my mind up. To consecrate my body to purity. Say it, I consecrate my mind to purity. I consecrate my will to purity. I consecrate my emotions to purity. Pastor, it's just an emotion. It's not impure. Listen to me. Anything, if you let emotion be Lord, that emotion at that moment for you is impure. Amen. Because it, it supposes it's Lord over your life. And emotion makes a terrible Lord. Amen? How I many you know God cut the strings from the devil as a puppeteer a long time ago in your life? Ask the Holy Spirit there might be a string or two attached still that you're subject to and you're tempted to, to react emotionally. Amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, give me a hand clap if you can receive that tonight.